wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow and it is time for your weekly grape encounter and i came across a press release from a winery in missouri that i haven't talked to in a really long time but they're doing an event this weekend that is so completely outrageous it's outrageous because it involves wine and chainsaws two things that don't mix very well On the line with me is the owner of the Seven Seas Winery in Walnut Grove, Missouri. It's Dwight Crevelt. And Dwight, so nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you. It's been a while. You know, I can say one thing for sure about you. Almost half the time a really outrageous press release comes across my desk. It has to do with you. (laughs) (laughs) Most of them do. You're a crazy guy, man. We're having fun. So chainsaws and wine. Why in the world would you put those two things together? I feel like I'm endangered every time I pick up a chainsaw, even if I haven't been drinking wine. Well, yeah, definitely. I don't even handle chainsaws myself. I'm <laughs> I dangerous not. cutting a limb down myself. We created the Chainsaw Carving Festival here. It's called Sippin' and Sawn, and it's you're a sippin' and they're a sawn. Awesome. Kind of like the play on old hee-haw days. Picking and grinning. So what what are they carving exactly? Well, they do carvings from uh, anything you can think of, from bears to eagles to benches. Last year, the winning carving was eight foot tall, was an eagle with a big trout in its hand and its claws sitting on a tree limb that went down, and he had it done such that it looked like it was in the water, and underneath the water, there were two more trout at the base of the stump. How quick did they carve that? Um, it, that was uh, the two-day piece. They carve all day Saturday and half the day Sunday, and then they're competing for cash prizes. Yeah. And then uh, Sunday, we auction everything off for charity. So you've got carvers coming from multiple states, as I understand it. Yes, we've got three states represented here, Iowa, Missouri, and Ohio. And who are you rooting for? Ah, you're uh, rooting for the well, home I'm team. Well, I'm going to have to root for the Missouri guys, but anyway, <laughs> I, they're all pretty good. And so do they get to choose whatever it is, subject-wise, that they're going to carve, or is there a particular theme that you've thrown at them? Um, we did not throw a theme at them. We're letting them do whatever they want. Okay. You've been doing this how long? This is our second year. Second year. How'd it go last year? It was fantastic last year. We raised several thousand dollars for local charities, a food backpack program and a food pantry and the boys ranch out here. And everybody had a blast. All of carvings are just fantastic. I ended up with several of them here at the winery. And they're, it's amazing what these people can do, This the artistry and the skill and the speed. Yeah, exactly. Now, you're not going to let them drink wine before they carve. Tell me you're not. No, we don't. Okay. So that's Unlike what... some carving festivals where they do allow to drink, ours is no alcohol in the carving areas during carving hours. Yeah, explain that one to 
Frontier Insurance Company, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a fun one to try and deal with. Yeah, we're talking to Dwight Crevelt. He is the owner of the Seven Seas Winery in Missouri. And you guys make a number of different kinds of wine. And one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit, the mead wines and the fruit wines that you make, because that's something, you know, that's not on a lot of people's radar, but still a pretty fast growing segment of the wine business. Uh, yes, it is. The honey wine or mead is growing dramatically. In fact, when we started six years ago, there were only 90 of us in the country making it on a full-time basis. Now it's up to 250. Holy moly! Compare that to 9,000 wineries, and that's why you don't see it very much. Well, it's a, probably a good idea to start making wine out of fruit because, at least on the West Coast and in other parts of the world, grapes are a scarce commodity right now. <laughs> um, yeah, in some cases, there's like 4,000 varieties of grapes out there that people make wine out of, and uh, we do it with about eight different varieties here in Missouri. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk more about the wines, but I want to just go back to not just the carving event. I think it's very interesting how wineries have really come to this place where they're doing all kinds of things that are non-wine related to try to attract people and also to get them to stay a while. It used to be that tasting rooms just wanted you to have your taste, buy the wine and get on down the road. But these days, it's more about making your visit to a winery an event. So nobody knows that biz better than you. And I might say it is, I suppose, partly because of the fact that you've got a Las Vegas background. Uh, yes, I do. I have been in promotions and gaming for all my life, 40-plus years, and then moved out here. So I've got a little bit of this showmanship. Yeah, exactly. You created gaming machines, is that right? Yes, I designed and built gaming machines as well as the managed player tracking systems. Oh, so when I go into a casino and I use my player's card, then you're tracking what I'm doing. Do they know whether I'm winning or losing? Yes, they, they do. They know everything about you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we use it to market back to you. We'll find out if you like football games, we'll send you things for football events coming up. If we know you like to play blackjack, we'll send something for a blackjack tournament or something to get you back in. We'll try and market that information back to you. What if I'm winning a whole bunch of money at the casino? That's fine. We'll give you a bunch of comps to get you to hang around and hopefully give it back. Oh, so it's not that they're afraid of me. They're going to try to get it back one way or the other. Yes, definitely. Okay. Any gaming machines at the Seven Seas Winery? Uh, no. No? We're not allowed to have gaming machines on premise. Oh, couldn't you do one that doesn't actually pay anything out? Well, actually, I do have a promotional game here. Okay. Uh, our wine club's a little bit different. It's a frequent shopper club. So instead of us sending you wine every month, every time you come in, you get to play a machine and win a prize. But the and prize probably isn't wine, right? No, it's not wine. Uh, we can't give away wine right, in exactly. state law, but we can give you a $100 gift certificate yeah. that you can use for anything you want. Uh, even wine? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. You found a loophole in the law. <laughs> <laughs> How many wineries are there near you in Walnut Grove? Um, well, there's about three or four right here in the Springfield area. And there's seven of us, six of us actually, in our wine trail, which goes from Joplin to Branson and around the Springfield area. Now, are all of your fellow winemakers making fruit wines, mead wines, and grape wines, or does it vary from place to place? Most of them are grape wines. One of them does a lot of fruit wines. I'm the only one down here that makes mead. When I started, there was another winery in Missouri that made mead. And now, in working with a lot of different wineries out here, we now have four. Okay, so now tell me about some of the events that you do there, because you do some pretty crazy things. Yeah, we do uh, basically one event a month, starting about May, that they are events such as our pirate fair. Yo, oh, yo, oh, oh. Uh, I don't know. No, 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 it comes out with cannons and shoots them off. But... 
starts it off. Yeah, but pirates don't drink wine. Ah, uh, well, they drank mead. <laughs> and we have a lot of mead. They, they drink a lot of wine, too. So, uh, so we do- have a pirate ship out here that the kids play on. In fact, the adults play on a pirate ship just as much as kids do. Awesome. Do people come dressed as pirates? Absolutely. They do? Yeah, we have costume contests for most of these events. They come dressed as in costume. They have a blast. They talk like pirates. It's, it's a lot of fun. One of our other events, then, is our Mead Fest, which is our Renaissance Festival. Really? That's, yes, we do that every September. This was our sixth year, and we introduced our new Meads for the year that day, and we've been averaging six to 700 people out here for that afternoon. It's a one-afternoon event. Holy smoke! And we have bands. We have belly dancers out here. We have a Bird of Prey demo. Let's see. Um, wait a second. Wait a second. Belly dancers at a Renaissance kind yes. of festival. Yes, it's a Renaissance. That, did they have belly dancing during the Absolutely. Renaissance? They did? Yes. Oh. So the belly dancers... Dancers actually, they show up for the pirate fairs, they show up for Renaissance fairs, the Celtic festivals, they do a lot of different events. And they're always a big hit out here. And we've actually worked with one of the other Renaissance fairs here, and they have a booth at our event promoting theirs, and we have a booth at their event going to promote, promote ours. You know what? That sounds like a great idea. Renaissance Festival combined with wine tasting. Doesn't get better than that. And Mead is really perfect for that, isn't it? Absolutely. It's been great. And the, the following that Mead has is just unbelievable. I thought it was going to be 10% of our business. It's at least 50%, if not 60% of our business. All right, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Give me one more event before we go on to talk about the wine of Missouri. Our Parrot Head Beach Bash. <laughs> okay. You bring in sand, I guess. Yeah, well, we don't bring in the sand, but we've got a human foosball court we built out here. We have a Jimmy Buffett tribute band. <laughs> okay. Called Rick Lamb and the Fin Addicts, which are getting well-known around the country. <laughs> He's traveling all over the place. And he comes out here, and we have the local Parrot Head Club comes out, and it's just a phenomenal afternoon of just partying. Love it, love it, love it. We're talking to Dwight Crevelt. He is the owner of the Seven Seas Winery, and you got to get this right. It's the number seven. And then CS Winery. You can find that at sevenseaswinery.com. Anyway, one of the most creative guys in the wine business. We're going to talk more about the wines of Missouri as we continue our conversation with Dwight Crevelt of Seven Seas. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more Grape Encounters. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Grape Encounters will continue shortly. If you're near a computer or have your smartphone in hand, join our Facebook group page by searching for GrapeEncountersRadio.com. People ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of Two Horse. 
of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. There's an urban legend which claims that, as an infant, David was found giggling in a vineyard of Pinot Noir. Well, that's absolutely untrue. It was Cabernet. If I were brave, I'd catch the wind outside my window. I'd drink it in like honey wine when the sun is singing low. All right, back with more Grape Encounters, and anybody that knows me knows that I hate pretentiousness, I hate snobby wineries, and maybe one of the least snobby wineries in America is the Seven Seas Winery in Walnut Grove, Missouri. We're talking to Dwight Crevelt. They have this very interesting event. They're carving trees and uh, having a wine festival at the same time. Maybe not two things that should be paired together, but uh, Dwight's got insurance, and Dwight's on the line right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, you know what? We were talking uh, during the commercial break about the pirate festival that you have. This guy brings a real cannon? Yes, he has actually two of them he brings down. He's from Kansas City, and he drags them down here every year and shoots them off throughout the day. There are uh, cannon fanatics out there. You know, there are a lot of people have cannons. You don't yes. realize that. Does he shoot real cannonballs? Uh, no, he's just shooting blank charges. Oh, come on. All right, let's talk about the wines for a second. And, you know, first of all, your specialty, mead wines, for those who don't know what that is, and we're talking about honey. How do the wines vary from wine to wine? Because I know you have different types of mead wine. You know, what are the distinctions between each of those various wines that you make? Yeah, well, basically, uh, mead is wine made from honey. We ferment the honey into wine, and there's about two or 300 recognized varieties of honey out there, because honey takes on the flavor of where the beehives are located. Okay, so, so the, the honey is actually what dictates kind of the honey equivalent to varietal. Yes, exactly. Uh, you've got an orange blossom, you've got a wildflower, you've got clover honey, you've got alfalfa, buckwheat. We've done all of these types of honeys. They, each one has a unique flavored honey, makes a unique flavored wine. Then again, we take our clover honey and we mix it with fruit and or peppers. We have our plum, our cherry, our pumpkin that's super popular, especially this time of year. It's like pumpkin pie in a glass. Wait a second. So how is that made? Well, we add the pumpkins 
to the honey and ferment it all together. We add the ju- we actually juice the pumpkins or the fruit, and then we add that to it and do the fermentation with the fruit. Okay, I need to taste that. Yeah, I, can't, I can't even imagine what that would taste like. Uh, well, we just call it pumpkin pie in a glass, and that's what people <laughs> – and it, it is. I just need a dollop of whipped cream on it, and you're all set. You know, I, the one thing I don't understand about mead is this. When you're talking grape wine, it's easy to grow a whole mess of grapes and make wine. But, you know, honey, we're talking about a much smaller quantity that you're going to get out of a hive. You can't get anything close to what you would get juice-wise out of a grape. So how exactly – is the mead made? Are we adding water to it as well? Yes, you have to dilute it because honey is about 88% sugar, 84 to 88%. Okay, gotcha. Sugar. Yeah. So we dilute it down to around 24, which is what grape juice is at, and then we ferment it from there. So a gallon of honey will produce about four gallons of mead versus a gallon of grape juice, it'll produce a gallon of wine. But that still, still seems like a pretty expensive proposition. It know? is expensive because honey is not cheap. Yeah. And it's also hard to get a hold of in some cases. We started off, we were buying it in five gallon buckets. Now we buy it in 55 gallon drums. Wow. So you go to Costco. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too bad they don't carry it. Yeah. We, we've uh, spent a lot of time uh, working with beekeepers around Missouri and to be able to get a hold of enough honey. Wow. And we've got some very large beekeepers that do a lot of bees and some of them that do travel, take their hives, for example, down to Florida or Michigan or someplace where they hit that orange grove. And so when they bring that honey back, we get the orange blossom honey. So, uh, and then you serve the orange blossom special. Right. Okay. So uh, w- what does a typical mead wine go for price-wise? Uh, we run ours about uh, fifteen ninety-five to sixteen ninety-five. That's a bargain. Yes, it is a bargain, and uh, we keep all of our wines cost-effective. We also have several new ones this year. We've done a jalapeno wine called Afterburn for several years. All right, all right. I, I need to I need to taste that. And the, the habanero is called Hades Ambrosia. People <laughs> love those. They've been fantastic for the last three years. So this year, uh, we did two new ones we introduced. We introduced Afterlife, which is made with the ghost pepper. And then yeah. we introduced Grim Reaper, which is made with the Carolina Reaper pepper, the hottest pepper in the world. I thought the ghost pepper was the hottest pepper in the world. It was. It's now number four. It's number four. How did that, Where did these other peppers suddenly come well, from? The, the other two in between are members of the Trinidad Scorpion pepper line out of the Caribbean. And this new Carolina Reaper was produced in Carolina, crossed and bred down there, and it's become, now become commercially available. It was actually created and listed by Guinness as the hottest pepper in the world at 1.5 million Scoville units. Whatever in the world prompted you to start making wine out of hot stuff? Well, we were joking around one day for a party. Uh, we had a, a friend of ours. She does a wine party every year, and she themes it, you know, maybe Chilean wine or Missouri wine or New York wine. And we're going to her party, and we're thinking we have something different. So we said, well, let's throw a jalapeno in there and see what it tastes like. Wow. So we took one of our meads and threw a jalapeno pepper in there and let it sit for a while. And it created a phenomenal flavor, and it was a big hit at the party. Is it hot? Um, we don't make it hot. It's just a little burn. It's called afterburn. You get the aroma and flavor of a jalapeno just a little on the back in to let you know it's a pepper. All right. And people put it in their cornbread. They drink it with a nice juicy hamburger or chips and salsa or anything like that. I was going to say, I'm pairing that with Mexican food. Absolutely. And then the habanero also, we've got people marinating their steaks in it and barbecuing with it. The two new ones, the reaper and the ghost pepper afterlife are um, a little bit, a little more heat there. And depending on your heat tolerance, you will or will not notice it. We're talking to Dwight Crevelt. He is the owner of the Seven Seas Winery in Walnut Grove, Missouri. 
And you make a ton of different kinds of wine. You make fruit wines, you make grape wines. Let's talk grape wines for a second. In Missouri, you do have a swiftly growing wine business. You make some very serious wines there, but you're making a lot of fun wines too. There's some really great wines that are coming out of there now, aren't there? Yeah, there's some fantastic wines coming out of Missouri. Our Norton is our state grape is doing real well. Uh, St. James Winery here is actually the most gold medal winning winery in the country. We've had them on the show too. Yeah, no, there's a lot of fantastic wines and wine. Institute did a survey of wineries throughout the country, ignoring the West Coast. Okay. You just ignored 95% of the wine in America, but go ahead. Right, right, exactly. The question is, what was your next favorite wine? And it was Missouri. We came in fourth. Wow. And we are about 10th in production right now of grapes. So you're more about indigenous grapes, right, right. than, than vinifera? We're American and French-American hybrids. We have Norton, Chambersen, Vidal, Vignol, Traminette. If somebody is outside of Missouri and they want to buy the wines, how accessible are they for the rest of the country? I think it's got to be fairly accessible now, right? It's getting more and more accessible, especially on the sweet wines. Okay, there's a lot of those out there. But we do a lot better on the drier wines and some of our high-quality wines. The problem is getting it widespread distribution lot of it doesn't make it that far. It's beginning to spread out there. You just have to get to your distributors and find out yeah. what's available. There's about 125 wineries here in Missouri. Well, I'll tell you what, the climate is right right now for you guys to really make your mark in a very big way because, you know, a lot of people experimenting with wines now. And I'm excited about, you know, making wine out of other things besides grapes because, you know, it's all good, man. You know, it's right. delicious. Our, well, our motto here is drink what you like and like what you drink. Yeah. And you know what? Our motto at Grape Encounters is it's your wine. You paid for it. You can drink anything you want and don't let anybody tell you you can't. Exactly. Hey, Dwight, nice to have you on. Nice to be on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I got to get out there and see you sometime soon. It's going to be next spring. That's what it's going to be. Okay. All right. So I will do that. And uh, maybe we can come to one of your festivals next year. I'll bring my chainsaw to the Pirate Festival. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks for being on, Dwight. We'll uh, talk to you another time, and we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Arg. Unpretentious, unconventional, and uncorked. This is Grape Encounters Radio. We like to talk about wine. Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. 
As a grape encounterist, you know how much fun an hour of conversation about wine can be each week. But there's no way we can pack everything into a show. Listeners just like you are turning the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group into an incredible online community where like-minded wine lovers converse, share information, and inspire each other with posts on a variety of interesting topics. If you haven't discovered your community, join in today on Facebook by entering Grape Encounters Radio. get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that wine lover in your life. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find an awesome selection of wine-related gifts and accessories that are not the same old, same old. From the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories. If you can remember winetalkshow.com, you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap. We've got what every wine lover wants at winetalkshow.com. Now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. And now I'm going to do something that I've been wanting to do for really a couple of months now. We have so many new listeners listening to Grape Encounters Radio that I know a lot of people are not completely familiar with the, we'll call it the Grape Encounters Radio political platform. You know, I'd much rather talk about this than politics. And uh, if you saw the last presidential debate, well, ah, debacle. You know what? You got to watch those presidential debates with, uh, I was going to say a glass of wine, but you need a whole bottle to get through (laughs) one of those. Anyway, joining me in the studio now is uh, somebody that I have an immense amount of respect for. He is a restaurant consultant. He is a wine bar consultant, actually was our consultant when we opened up the Grape Encounters Emporium, and also an expert at engineering. Well, really, he's the renaissance man of all time, and a dear friend, Kevin Kuhn. And Kevin, welcome to Grape Encounters Radio, your first time on the show. Hey, David. Good to be here. Okay, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to talk about the wine world according to Grape Encounters. Because a lot of times when people first listen to Grape Encounters or they see it's a wine show, they get that idea that it's going to be stuffy and pretentious, which you know is not the case. Far from it. Yes, it's a circus at the Grape Encounters Emporium, and we encourage, I was going to say bad behavior, but you can be loud and obnoxious there as long as it's not obnoxiously pretentious. Hate that stuff. I love the Emporium. You don't like pretentiousness either. Absolutely not. You're one of the least pretentious guys I know. So I wrote down 10 of what are probably 100 postulates about the Grape Encounters lifestyle. And I thought we would just kind of go through some of them so that those who are new to the show or those who have forgotten what we're all about will get a better sense of what the Grape Encounters lifestyle is. Sounds great. Sounds fun. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I've got 10 of them here right now. So I didn't put them in any particular order except for number 10, which is really sort of like number one, you know, like the David Letterman list. So when we get to 10, it's really the most important. So I'm doing it backwards. But anyway, number one, drum roll, please. Everyone secretly likes sweet wines. (laughs) True or false? 
I'd say false. No, it's not false. It's true. You know what? So many of us who are wine enthusiasts will make fun of people who drink things like white Zinfandel or Moscato or that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, is I've never poured a sweet wine to anybody, even somebody who's a diehard cab lover, who didn't go, hmm, that's really good, especially on a hot summer day. Mm-hmm. So are you telling me that you don't agree with that? Everybody loves sweet wines? I like drier wines, personally. You are telling me that you have never had a sweet wine that you loved, a, a trokin beer in Auslesa, an ice wine, a beautiful Italian Moscato? Mm. Yeah, I, don't, I don't believe right. you. I don't believe you. See? German, German Riesling. Yeah. All right. So you're changing your position? Uh, maybe slightly. All right. It just depends on the circumstances, and it depends on the sweet wine, too. Like a really, you know, manufactured, bulk-produced white Zinfandel. Not my thing, but definitely that sweet German Riesling or even a Riesling from upstate New York or a Trockenbeer and Auslese, ice wine from Ontario. Beautiful stuff. Okay, so we're on board with that one. All right, number two. You can love wine without being able to describe it. Absolutely, of course. You know what? I get so sick and tired of wine, quote, experts feeling that the only way to appreciate a wine is to be able to describe it in terms that the person you're describing it to probably isn't going to immediately latch on to. Anyway, you know what? The other night you were at the wine bar Mm -hmm. and you were feverishly trying to identify a flavor in one of the wines and I think you were calling it nutmeg. It was you either know, nutmeg, nutmeg or clove. I was, yeah, I was nutmeg getting or clove, some something like spices. that. Yeah, sort of those fall kinds of spices, pumpkin mm-hmm. pie spices, right? Mm-hmm. But would you have enjoyed the wine just as much if you weren't struggling to figure out what it tasted like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. However, I was trying to detect what that one flavor note was that I was getting. But the problem with it is so many people get caught up in trying to describe the wine that, you know, they get lost in the minutiae and they're not enjoying it. And some Sometimes to enjoy it, you just kind of got to clear your head and just let it soak in. Right. Not get distracted by how to categorize or how to call something out, but instead just enjoy the wine. You don't get in a jacuzzi and try to describe how big the bubbles are, how soft the water is, or what the salts that you added to it smell like. You just immerse yourself and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's part of the wine world according to Grape Encounters. You know, don't get hung up on the descriptions. Not to say that you can't do that and enjoy that. I love doing that, but not to the point that it distracts me from enjoying the wine to its fullest. All right, number three. Leave your comfort zone periodically. I agree with that completely. I tend to gravitate towards certain different varietals, but it is so exciting to be able to go and try something new and get out of your comfort zone and try different varieties. You're big on this, right? You know, so many times uh, we keep gravitating to that Cabernet or Merlot or, you know, Chardonnay or whatever. You know, there's the big nine wines that everybody knows, but there's so many different varietals out there and, and especially varietals that I would call second tier varietals, Tempranillos and Barberas and Petite Syrah, Petite Verdot, wines that people don't typically drink. And then there are the really crazy varietals out there. I mean, there are tens of thousands of varietals. And these wines are pretty accessible these days because more and more people, especially the younger people, 
are not necessarily gravitating to the best-known varietals, but want to try and explore something different. And I think that is a fundamental principle of being a grape encounterist is you will leave your comfort zone from time to time. We're in agreement. Yes. All right. As a restaurant and bar consultant, uh, I'm going to see how you react to this one. Buy the bottle, not the glass. You're shaking your head. Buy the bottle, not the glass? Yeah, if you're going to a restaurant, buy the bottle, not the glass, because the bottle is always going to be a better deal than the glass is going to be. Not necessarily. Oh, why not? Well, okay. Between between Coravins, between Enomatics, there's a lot of accessibility Uh, to buying a glass instead of a whole bottle. But but I'm just talking about, in general, the cost per glass is always higher per ounce of wine you're going to consume than the cost per bottle. Oh, strictly from a financial perspective? Yeah, strictly from a financial perspective. Okay. So now you're going to like number five. Okay. And then we'll take a break and we'll pick up the last five. Okay. Number five, drum roll, please. Corkage fees are fair. Bring your own bottle as often as possible. Oh, I believe. Oh, I see. Oh, the hair on your (laughs) neck is standing up for this one. I believe that in a local environment, if you're bringing a local wine to a local restaurant, that the corkage fee should be waived. Okay, but what I'm saying is, is it's better to bring your own bottle and pay a corkage fee in many cases than to just order off the wine list. I mean, there's some exceptions to the rule. You don't bring a wine that's already on the wine list. That's very bad taste. Mm -hmm. You don't do that, right? Correct. You wouldn't do that. However, if you want to bring a special bottle of something you've saved for a while for a special occasion, they may not have that on their list. So it's absolutely better to bring your own bottle, pay the corkage fee, which is basically paying for the service that you're getting for the corkage is why you're paying a corkage fee. Yeah, but corkage fees are almost always fair. I don't even mind paying a $25 corkage fee. First of all, you don't bring in a $15 bottle of wine and pay a $25 corkage fee. Mm-hmm. And corkage fees are usually more like $10, $15. It depends where you go. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, when in doubt, have that bottle of wine with you. Call ahead, find out if they will allow you to do it because some restaurants won't. Most will, I think. Mm-hmm. And then pay the corkage fee. It's going to be cheaper for you, much cheaper for you than to buy something off the wine list. And everybody wins that way. It is a win-win. Yeah. And you also, by the way, this is kind of a side benefit to this whole thing. You all also then are not tipping on the price of the bottle of wine because, you know, it's not going to be on your bill. And I really object to, especially when you buy a very expensive bottle of wine, tipping on that full price of the bottle. Mm-hmm. In fact, I factor that out usually because, you know, just because somebody went in and bought a $200 bottle of wine doesn't mean that you should tip on that whole $200. Right. I'm kind well, of What a do you sucker, think about though. that? You I'm do? kind of a sucker. I usually tip the 20%. Unless the service is bad, I typically tip the 20% on the whole amount. Wow. I'm a sucker. Wow. You're generous. Thank you very much. Did you tip uh, at the wine bar the other night? Absolutely. Every time. 20%? Yes. I think we deserve 25. <laughs> okay. All right. We are talking about 10 things that are, I think, fundamental principles of being a grape encounterist. You know what? If you get, let's say, 8 out of 10, I'm okay with that. You know, we, we don't have to agree on everything. But it's just to give you a feel of what the Grape Encounters wine lifestyle is all about. In the studio with me is my dear friend, uh, restaurant consultant, engineer. What what don't you do? Uh, you're an exotic dancer as well. No, no, no. Oh, not you're anymore. not. Oh, not anymore. Okay. All right. Anyway, Kevin Kuhn is with me, and we're going to be back with the top five when we return with Grape Encounters Radio, so don't go anywhere. Chocolates, Chardonnay, and Billy, a 
are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street. The historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. Why not get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that wine lover in your life? At WineTalkShow.com, you'll find an awesome selection of wine-related gifts and accessories that are not the same old, same old. From the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories. If you can remember WineTalkShow.com, you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap. We've got what every wine lover wants at WineTalkShow.com. Like a bottle of red wine Or maybe two He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. Open up, you'll find The possibilities Together we can grow Like a deep merlot back with Grape Encounters Radio and talking about what it takes to be a grape encounterist. You know, a lot of new listeners have joined our program in recent months, and I don't want anybody to mistake what we're all about. We are not the pretentious wine show, but we do have principles here at Grape Encounters Radio. So in the studio with me is somebody who shares at least a lot of the things that I believe I think he's a grape encounterist. His name is Kevin Kuhn. He is a restaurant consultant, a bar consultant. He helped us put together the Grape Encounters Emporium. He even teaches engineering. You're everything, man. The Renaissance man in the flesh. Kevin Kuhn. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. All right. We kind of tangled on a couple of these in the last segment, but let's move on to the top five, which I'm doing in reverse. I should have started with 10 and went backwards, but I'm dyslexic. <laughs> All right. So number six. Ready? 
Bottom shelf wines. We're talking about in your wine store, the wines that are on the bottom shelf. Because usually there's four to five shelves in a market. Bottom shelf wines are for cooking and sangria. Not always. You might find a hidden gem in there. Come on. That obscure varietal that you didn't know about. I didn't say that they weren't for drinking, too. But, you know, I would focus on those wines for something other than pleasure. You're just looking at me. We're not going to agree on this one. You know, this is going to be two strikes. Strike! You're not going to make it as a grape encounterist. Maybe I'll get seven out of ten. You may need to lower your standards and allow others involved. I'm I'm just saying that, you know, these aren't hard and fast. But generally speaking... Like the big jugs? Are you talking about the big jugs Yeah, well, just the the big commercial wines are on the bottom shelf. As you move up the shelf, generally speaking, you're going to find better wines. I never buy from the bottom shelf. Actually, I never buy wine, period. (laughs) All right, we're going to move along, okay? And uh, this is number seven. Number seven. Drum roll, please. Wine pairs best with whatever tastes best to you. In other words, you don't necessarily have to follow the pairing rules. If you like your wine with something in particular that doesn't fit into the rules that the sommeliers or the wine experts are telling you, who cares? Absolutely. As long as you love it, right? I agree. And I think that the way that things are prepared and the slices that are used, I think that changes the way the whole paradigm of must pair this with that. I think it changes and every dish and every wine can be paired with itself. Yeah. The truth of the matter is all of our palates are different and we don't all taste the same thing. And that's why some people like Petit Verdot and some people hate it. And that's why some people like oaked Chardonnays and others like unoaked Chardonnays. We're all different. And so when it comes to pairing wine with food or anything else, it's really a matter of personal taste. It is not a matter of rules. And if all you do is follow the rules, you might miss some great experiences. So experiment. Mm -hmm. That goes back to number three, which is leave your comfort zone. And that applies to pairing as well. Okay. We only got a short time left. So here we go. Number eight. It's better to tinker with wine than drink something unpalatable. Now, you know what I'm talking about here. You know, I have been known to take a little bit of sugar and add it to wine. Or water. Or water to wine. By the way, we were experimenting with this the other night. We were drinking a wine that had a lot of alcohol. You know, a lot of people will say it's got a bite to it. Usually they're talking about the alcohol. Or sometimes they call it hot. Yeah, it's hot, exactly. And many times if you'll just add a tiny bit of water, a half a teaspoon, it'll lower the alcohol a little bit. And at the same time, when you do that, it brings out the flavor in wine. So that's one way to tinker with wine. Another way, you can add a little sugar to wine. It's okay. If you want ice cubes in the wine and it makes it taste better to you, by all means do it. But I wouldn't leave them in there until they completely melt. (laughs) But, you know, when you put ice in wine, it lowers the temperature, which kind of changes changes the aromatics. It changes the way the wine tastes. It may be more pleasurable to you. And at the same time, that melting ice cube is lowering the alcohol a little bit. But get that ice cube out as soon as possible. It's a similar concept to being able to decant something or to put something through a venturi or some type of aeration process. It changes the way the That's exactly right. Tinker with the wine. And when in doubt, if the wine just isn't doing it for you, add some orange juice to it. You know. (laughs) And by the way, you can make a mimosa with red wine. I've never done that. It's perfectly fine if you like it. Okay, number nine. This is one very near and dear to my heart, and it is. Blending is the bomb. Yes. The single most important thing to me is the protection of my right to blend my wine with other wines. It's my wine. I paid for it. I can do whatever I want with it. Are you tinkering with your wine that way? 
I absolutely have. You yes. do now. Like, like how? Well, I'll, I'll take two different varietals and I'll put them together and, and try it out. It's the same thing that the winemakers do in the back room to decide what they're going to bottle. It's an experimentation. And we get to play with an unlimited number of wines when we do that. The winemaker is just stuck with whatever he or she has made, mm-hmm. which so is your very, palate- very limiting. And in many cases, that blending is being done to compensate for deficiencies. Mm-hmm. And we don't like that. Yeah, you have a larger list of ingredients that you can possibly choose from in order to blend your own. All right. Now, here comes the last one. Wait, don't you call that venthesis? We call it venthesis. That's exactly right. That's a term that we created at Grape Encounters, and it just simply means taking, I like to say, single varietal wines. Don't blend wines that are already blended. Wait, you said there's no rules. Didn't you just say don't? Oh, stop. All right. Never mind. Single varietals, (laughs) blends. Let people do what they want. You caught me. (laughs) My pants down on that one. All right. This is the last one, number 10. This is a big one for me. I'm saying this on national radio. Ready? Ready. It's okay to pass on Pinot. Everybody is so in love with Pinot. Personally, if I never drank another Pinot Noir for the rest of my life, that would be fine. Don't drink something because it's trendy. Drink it because you like it. You don't have to like Pinot. But there are some people who are so in love with Pinot that if you say, I don't like Pinot... They're going to ostracize you. Exactly. They will unfriend you on Facebook. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say pass on Pinot. Uh, I've found some really neat, interesting No, I Pinots. said it's okay to pass on Pinot. It's okay. I didn't say pass on Pinot. I said it's okay to pass on Pinot. In other words, don't feel pressured, especially Pinot Noir, because Pinot Noir is still the rage. And there is way more bad Pinot out there than good Pinot. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what happened. A lot of people abandoned grapes like Merlot and started making Pinot. Why did they do that? Merlot. Low is a fantastic grape. All right, you know what? That's all the time we got. Did you have fun? I had a great time. All right, so let's head over to the wine bar. We're signing off the air right now. I've got a beautiful bottle of Pinot over there for you. Fantastic, thank you. And a $200 cab for me. (laughs) That's going to do it for Grape Encounters. Thanks to my guest, Kevin Kuhn, for going through the 10 postulates of being a Grape Encounterist. Try some of these things out yourself. If you missed anything, you can uh, re-listen to the show online at grapeencounters.com. We will see you next week. Same time, same channel.